Hello and welcome back to our devotions on the Gospel of John. Today I want to talk about a time when Jesus went to Jerusalem, to Judea, to the Jews' Feast of the Tabernacles. This is a one-week feast uh, where people would live and eat and sleep in little booths, little tents, and celebrate the coming out of Egypt and God's provision. It was a feast that everyone attended. Even those who lived outside of Jerusalem would come. And hence, when Jesus, uh, though Jesus was in Galilee, he was asked to go to Judea, to Jerusalem, but for a different reason. Let's, let me just read to you from verse 1 to 7, John chapter 7, verse 1 to 7, and then verse 37 to 39. Let us pray. Father, speak your truths to us. Allow us to know your nature, the way you see us, the way you love us, the way you minister to us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 7, verse 1 to 7. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were all seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. And then verse 37 to 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So this he said about the Spirit, whom they believe, who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> One of the most subtle and insidious ways of the world, a very subtle and yet very dangerous way of the world, is that it turns constantly turns the focus of attention on us, on ourselves. Listen to what Jesus' brothers said to him. Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Such is the thinking of the world, such is the most common thinking among us all. If you are doing good work, let the world see. Because no one who works in secret, no one will work in secret if he seeks to be known openly. That is a very insidious way of the world. It tells us that whatever you do, do it for the world to see. And yet Jesus in Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount said just the opposite. That when you give alms, when you help someone, do it, do not even allow your left hand to know what your right hand is doing. Do not sound the trumpets and let people know the good that you're doing. And this is so important. 
Because when we think about ourselves, or at least let me think about myself, when I see a man in need, a person in need, often the first question I ask is, who's looking? The bottom line then is, let me not embarrass God. Let me not show a bad testimony about God. And so, let me not have allow anyone to think that I'm not helpful, that I'm not caring. And so if no one's looking, I may just walk past the person. If I'm walking next to a Christian, or if I know that there are other Christians looking on, other people looking on, then I might stop to give alms. But often the first consideration in mind is, who's looking? And will I embarrass myself? Will I open myself to criticism that I'm uncaring? That is often the bottom line. But the top line, the best thing is, who is looking? Will they praise me? Will they affirm that I am generous, that I'm kind. And often we even have words, very spiritual terms to justify this self-focus. We say we want to show a good testimony. We want to show people that we Christians are caring. But this word show then, or good testimony, what are we testifying? Are we testifying that we are showy? Are we testifying that when we help a person, that what we really care for most is that we be seen. The focus is on us, that we be seen as generous and kind. That would be so sad. And often we have turned this into an art. We look for the most politically correct words to say, like, be blessed, God bless you, I will pray for you. Or we look for the most politically correct things to do. Where people see us, then we'll do some good but we'll do less good if nobody is looking. But the bottom line then is that we care so much about what people see us do. The focus is on myself and not on the person in need. But what would it be like if we stopped, if we refused as Jesus did to show ourselves and to show the world about ourselves? What if our focus was on the person in need? If we ask the first question is, how can I help him? What would be good for this person? Would it be a kind word? Would it be a prayer? Would it be a gift? Would it be alms? Would it be to walk with the person? And if that was the first question in our minds, rather than what people will think of us, what is politically correct, perhaps we will make a great difference in the world. And that's the paradox. The less we think about ourselves, the more people are ministered to. Jesus saw that as important. He didn't want to show his disciples or to show people that he was a great miracle worker. That was not necessary for him. And then we think about prayer. Jesus also talked about prayer. When you pray, hide yourself in the closet, do not pray at the street corners and proclaim to everyone that you are praying. See, the question is, who are you talking to? Who are you praying to? You're praying to God. But who's your audience? Is it the onlookers, the people who would say, wow, you pray wonderfully, or oh, he prays terribly? Are we always so self-conscious? And I think we are. I am. Because when I pray in public, I often wonder whether people hear it right, I wonder whether people like my prayers, whether I'm eloquent enough. And so often we do that and we say, oh, I don't pray very well in public. 
But who cares actually whether we pray well or badly in public? God does. And if our prayers are directed to God, if we are praying to God, then gradually could we not stop thinking about us as the focus? And that's also to all the things that we do, whether we are ushering or whether we are worship leaders. The best worship leaders are those who worship God while leading. And not about techniques or the quality of singing alone, not about what people will think of the gestures that we make or the way we, the way we sing, but rather how much are we worshipping God. Of course, certain basics are necessary, like singing in tune and all that, but the main focus is not us, but God. And it goes across the board to all the things that we do. If we began to stop thinking of what people think of us and think less of that, and if we began to think more about the people that we are addressing, the people that we're looking at, whether it is the poor who needs help or a person who needs comfort, when we stop thinking about how smart am I, how smart is my answer to them, how good is my counselling skill, but rather about how can I help this person, how can I talk to God that will please Him, that will make a great difference to our lives. But you see, this insidious way of the world doesn't only infect our focus on ourselves, it also affects the way we think of God. Sometimes we think that God is like that too, that He will glorify Himself, He will do things to glorify Himself. How often have we prayed, Father, heal this person, that Your name may be glorified? Is that why God would heal a person, that His name will be glorified? Is that why God would work miracles, that His name be glorified? We see again and again that God is a self-effacing God. He wants to help. He wants to be involved in our lives. He wants to rescue. He wants to redeem. He doesn't need to be placed on a pedestal because He's King of kings and Lord of lords. He doesn't need us to place Him on a pedestal. But we're often guilty of saying or bargaining with God. I remember a time when I had a big bargain with God and I learned a huge lesson from that was my final year in law school and I struck a bargain with God which I thought God could not refuse. I said, God, if you made me top student, if you gave me a first class honours, and if you gave me then a great job, and if I was raised to some high level, to be a high level lawyer, and then if I gave all that up to be a pastor or a missionary, how your name will be glorified. How people will say, this is a man who loves God and God is glorified. Because though he's so successful, he would give everything up to serve God. I thought that was an irresistible deal with God. But God thought differently. I ended up with bottom in class of a third class honours, ended up not being able to find a job and it took so long to find just a low paying, lousy job. And yet God wasn't interested in glorifying himself or glorifying me. God was interested in ministering deep into my life, to be my father, to be my friend, to give me joy that nothing else could give. God is not interested in glorifying himself the way we think of glory. The glory of God, as I mentioned before, 
is that he loved us so much he cared nothing for himself but gave himself up for us. And so now we look at verse 37 when Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, out from within him will flow rivers of living water. You know, and then John adds that he meant the Holy Spirit would be given to us. What happened at Pentecost was the Holy Spirit came into believers. The Holy Spirit comes to live in each of us. Now, if we think that the incarnation, that Jesus coming to earth was tough, think of what it means for the Holy Spirit to live in us. Jesus came to earth to suffer, to experience the pain of the world. The Holy Spirit lives in us to share that pain, to feel the horror of our thoughts and our lives. How often have we said, well, I'd rather die than, than to spend an hour with this person or that person. I know there are lots of people I feel that way about. That I'd rather die than to even live with this person or to be with that person. And the Holy Spirit not only spends time with us, He spends time in us 24-7. He lives with the rot that is inside us, the pride, the lust, the fears that are inside us. And He's committed to living in us. Think of the love that God has for us, that He's willing to live in us, to take all that rubbish that we are and that we have, and then to transform us from inside. You know, the rivers of living water, what does that mean flowing out from our hearts? Let me give you an analogy. Our hearts are very much like pipes, conduits. God wants to pour His love into our hearts through His Holy Spirit. But because our hearts are so clogged up, so clogged up with fear, with, with hatred, with resentment, with self-centeredness, that every passage, every path that the Spirit wants to pour His love into us and through us is clogged and blocked. Fear, our fear of new things, our fear of rejection, our fear of the things, of unknown things, that keeps us from receiving from God. Often we insist on having our own thing and we are afraid to open our hands to receive from God because we are fearful. And what the Holy Spirit wants to do is to remove this fear and to open the clogged pipes that His love may flow into us and through us to others. And then there's resentment and hatred. Resentment and hatred are the things that will really block God from coming to us. Because we don't want love, we want hatred, we want vengeance. And as long as we hold vengeance in our hearts, the love, God's love cannot come to us. The Holy Spirit comes to us and works that through to, to slowly teaching us to forgive, still loving us as He helps us to forgive. To the point where these pipes, these conduits are unblocked and God's love flows right into us and through us. God doesn't care what people think of him. He cares about what he can do in our lives because he wants to touch the innermost part of our lives and make that difference so that out from within us will indeed spring forth 
rivers of living water, love and joy and peace. Is that what you want? Would you want the Holy Spirit to live in you and to clean up the mess in you a little at a time, day by day, so that you can really experience His love eternally? Think about this then. How often are we self-focused, self-engrossed? Could we start thinking that God is not that way? He doesn't want fame. He doesn't want grandeur. He wants to minister to the one in need, the one before Him. Can we then learn to do the same? That when we face others, we look at what their needs are and slowly and gradually look less and less at what, how smart we are, how good we are, how well we are doing our job and just focus on the person that we are reaching out to. Focus on the God whom we are praying to. Let us pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your great love for us. It is beyond measure. Forgive us, Lord, for being so self-focused in all that we do. And to even imagine that you are self-focused. But you're not, Lord. You are focused on us. You did not count equality, count your kingship as something to be grasped, but emptied yourself and became like us. And then you died for us. But after that, you even live in us. And Lord, we owe you a great debt of gratitude. Father, teach us day by day then to look less at ourselves and more at you, more at the people before us, more at the person who is talking to us with whom we are talking. And God, we pray too, that day by day you will unclog all these pipes that have been blocked for years by fears, by hatred, by sin, by shame. And that gradually you will remove them that we may receive your love that is poured out to us by your Holy Spirit. That indeed then rivers of living water will spring forth from our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you have a good start to this week. Have a blessed week. God bless you and goodbye.